0: Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn.
1: Hello, this is Ken Rashawn on Amplified, and I am so excited because in the last three weeks, we have had the most incredible events where I've had an opportunity to speak, address a crowd, and uh, a crowd of leaders, and inspire them to write their first books. And the Key Smiling book has been really a interesting solution. I've been doing it for about three years. Didn't know that studying it a little further it could become somewhat of a TED Talk, TED chapter, where people could share who they are, their journey from birth to where they are now, the obstacles they had to overcome, and and then the why that they created in their life as a result of this journey, and then how they actually have the social proof that they create abundance, solve problems, and inspire smiles, of course. So uh, each presentation we've done, one at Eric Swanson's Habitude Warriors, and then recently at Sharon Bernstein's. Um, the Leadership Summit, uh, Leadership American Summit, we had just an amazing audiences that really wanted to take action and really wanted to share their story and inspire the world. So I'm excited to bring Sharon back, and I want to bring my co-host, Andrea Adams-Miller with the Red Carpet Connection on, so she can give a little description of this particular show because it's a power-packed, if you have kids or you care about our youth and future, then, this is a show that you want to share with people that do have kids. This is a very, very vital show. I have a five and a half year old son, and I, I will say that of all the shows this year, I'm a little more perked up for this show because it's going to impact my life a lot. So, Andrea, how was your weekend?
2: It was absolutely fabulous uh, recovering from gathering all the wonderful leads and talking to all the amazing leaders that we met at all of these events the last couple weeks. And I'm really excited about today's show as well because being a former educator myself and you being a former educator, how exciting for us to have three educators Uh, Sharon was a former educator. She was a kindergarten teacher at one time, and now she uh, works with leaders and really incorporates. uh, It's kind of funny when you think about the book, you know, everything I learned in life I learned in kindergarten may apply, actually, once you talk to Sharon uh, and realize (laughs) the things that she taught, you know, people as young as your son and what they do in their life. And then we'll be talking with uh, Daniel Hagedorn. Um, Daniel has done some amazing things with really talking about how to prepare kids for life and talking to parents and teachers on how yeah. to be able to do that. And such a fabulous way to do that. And then the other piece is Danny Brussel. Danny Brussel is a really good friend of mine. I've been friends with him for over a decade. And he is known as the leading reading ambassador for all of america and he just travel overseas as well and speaks at multiple colleges and universities and elementary schools about the power of reading and does a lot to promote people's books so it's just an excellent fit for everyone here and well,
1: i, I want to say actually this reading thing i think is going to take off uh because <laughs> there are so many people buying books and they're collecting them and they're not really using them reading them and doing anything with them so this reading thing i think is really going to be the new movement
2: going to be absolutely fabulous. So um, if you'd like, I'll go ahead and uh, introduce Sharon. So uh, Sharon is America's leading image speaker now, and she had this wonderful event, uh, the America Leadership Summit in Albany, New York, and she had speakers such as Eric Swanson, Jeff Hoffman, who used to own Priceline, Dr. Steve Taubman, who's a hypnotist, Angela Badeau, who owns her magazine, and Cindy Applebaum, Andrew Weibreck, who is a silver and bronze, a ski medal winner for the Olympics, uh, Brandon Dewey, Allison Quinn, and Greg Duswalt, the rock star marketing boot camp. And then, of course, we had our lovely, uh, handsome Ken Rashon, who's our host, and me, Andrea Adams-Miller, the co-host, who all spoke at that event.
1: And I must say, I think uh, in all the times I've seen you speak, you really shared your heart at a higher level because you were talking about the uh, the leadership aspect connected with positivity and leading with your heart. So, great job on stage and sharing the Keep Smiley movement. For anyone that would like to see uh, that particular speech or any speeches, I'm sure that Sharon will accommodate it with us. So, Sharon, welcome.
3: Well, thank you. Thank you for having me back. And wow, what a fun and honor it was having you at Leadership Summit America last week. You were both so amazing on stage and I love the Keep Smiling movement.
1: Well, I, I I was I was leaving, and you grabbed my arm, and you said, "I'm doing the Keep Smiling book," and I I have to say that made my day. That was the biggest part of my day because having you share it from a leadership standpoint, and the connections you have, and the 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 career you've had with leaders, that is really going to make a huge difference. And in this world where we have, and
3: you know, smiling and yeah, it does. And smiling and being happy is really part of our great success. And I must say. Kudos to you and Andrea for today's program, by the way, on reading. My master's is in corrective reading disorders. I happen to also adore Danny, who I think is doing a marvelous job. But, you know, it's always, it's cool to be smart and reading should always be fun. No matter what your age is and inspiring our youth to be, really embrace reading and books is just really at the core.
1: It totally is. Knowledge is power, and my son's not really digging it, so this is, uh, he's five and a half years old, and this is the type of show that when he hears it and he sees the importance of it, I, I believe this will make a difference. <laughs> I'm going to keep uh, coaxing him into the power of the book and the power of knowledge. But uh, tell me about your event, what you got out of that event, because you've done three of them, and I know each one is distinctly mm-hmm. different, but how is this one different, and what are you doing for the fourth?
3: Wow, great questions. Uh, and, yes, I am already thinking about the fourth. And the third was just amazing. You know, even our video person who's been with us for three years, Cam and to me, said, year one was great. Year two was fabulous, and this year was extraordinary. And I think, you know, that we, every year we try to build it. We built this year more speakers. We built some workshops. We built more panelists and surprise guests, because I'm always about giving value added to our attendees. But one of the things that I really work to do, so many conferences, people speak at you. And I really work to get our speakers not only connected together, but our speakers and attendees connected together. Because life is all about connection, networking, and really getting people uh, to connect uh, together, And I think that's what's part of the power and a lot of the fun of Leadership Summit America and is also why we have about more than a 20% return rate each year.
1: Well, I will say that uh, the quality of your audience was completely up there. They were high in participation. They were certainly high in uh, being uh, active at the event. And most importantly, when you had the VIP lunch and the VIP dinner, everyone had just so much to contribute at that table. And I want to applaud you because you are all about the connection. You're all about the takeaway of the relationships. And I am so excited to connect with so many of those people and create your book. We got almost every single person to hold a key smiling card. So it'll be interesting to share their view on how leadership and smiles are connected.
3: Well, I'm looking forward to it as well. And uh, I've gotten some of, some of your photos from uh, the week uh, You know, our two days together, and everybody, there's such a buzz, and yes, we will be doing Leadership Summit America next year back in Albany. We may be taking it also to Bermuda and a couple of other cities, but we always want to remain also close to our core, so we will expand cities, but we will always keep at least one event in Albany, and then I do another event just for women, Uniquely You, putting women first. The Power of Possible. That will be the last weekend of June at Waka on
1: Lake George. That is so cool. Well, we, we're doing actually three books, uh, uh, Empowerment Women Editions, and they are because there are so many women, that's, women that know how to collaborate, know how to actually lead and create positivity and smiles, of course, so I'll send you a couple of those books. You know, uh, the one thing I'll say about your event is it goes too quickly. I mean, it is like a snap and it's over, so I, I hope that we extend it even longer?
3: Well, we'd love to. Uh, you know, uh, I'm I always conscious. I'd rather leave people wanting more than saying, when is this going to end? <laughs> so, you know, and those kinds of things happen. So right now we've caught a good rhythm with people. You know, we have people from seven states, 30 different industries, and that's what I love. And the other thing that I love that we've created is a leader scholars program, as you know, Ken. And we yep. have some high school students every year that are, that, are, you know, uh, who are, uh, um, the high schools, uh, come with a few of the administrators. And really those are our leaders of tomorrow. So really trying to bring together some high school and college students into the mix to connect them to a lot of hugely and fabulously not only talented but successful People, but help them connect them in their journey because you know what, Ken? We all have to be great mentors because we never got to be where we are without somebody having helped us at different times. And we should still have mentors, but we all need to be greater mentors to those behind us, regardless of age.
1: I agree. So you have a couple of fabulous books. I look forward to reading them. Thank you very much for the gift of those books. And I wanted to make sure people could connect with you so they could learn uh, when the next event is happening, how to purchase your books, and how to have a better 2019. So how can people connect with you?
3: Well, they can uh, do that off of my website, which is www.sharonburstein.com. That's S-H-A-R-O-N B-U-R-S T-E-I-N, or you can also email me at Sharon at Sharon com, And phone me, I always love connecting with people, 518 4027 I always welcome connecting with people and just like, you know, connecting others. So I'm all about building people up. I love writing books. I've got a couple more books coming up. And, you know, electronic books are great, but I don't know about you, Ken, there's still nothing like a printed book. A printed well, that's book like, is like an old friend.
1: Come on. That's that's like saying, man, it's so is great having this Facebook with all these virtual friends versus these real friends I have. So <laughs> we we have no, to have... No, I reality. love
3: electronics, but, you know, uh, you know, I have so many favorite books. I love looking through my library books or, you know, with my daughter, who's now 29, but looking at all her favorite books that she had as a child, and she's still adores and there's something about the physicality of books that I still love and I read electronic books but I like both.
1: I agree, I agree. So thank you so much for inviting us to your event. It was spectacular and I already look forward to seeing you at the next event whether it's your, your next event or an event that you're attending. So we will talk to you later and thank you so much.
3: My thanks to you and to Andra and I'm looking very forward to to uh, having you part of my event, and to seeing you at others, and thank you for having me on your show. You are both tremendously wonderful, and I adore you both.
1: Thank you. So we will uh, reach out to you after the show, and I think we can get your book out by the holidays, which would be really magical, because it is a great holiday gift to make a better 2019. Andrea, please share, please share the introduction for Daniel.
2: Daniel Hagedorn is an international speaker, the author of five books, and the founder of Preparing Kids for Life, an organization devoted to helping parents guide their children to become the best version of themselves. Daniel graduated from the Masters University in Santa Clarita, California with a BA in History and Bible, and he enjoyed a successful 14-year career teaching high school history in public, private, and homeschool settings. He's been the featured speaker at educational conferences for the last 13 years, and he's married to the love of his life, Vicki, and they have one beautiful little daughter, Landry, who will always be his little bunny, no matter how old she grows to be. <laughs> so welcome to the show, Daniel.
1: Hey, Daniel, you there? I'm here. I'm glad. You know, uh, I wouldn't know you if it, wasn't, if, if it wasn't for a lovely man named... Uh, Mr. Schmidlin, who actually connected us to Peter Stropel, who created the Friends of Peter, and I saw you speak, and you had five minutes to speak about sharks and how they related to life, <laughs> and you made that, 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 you made that presentation so magical. I was like, this is a guy I wanted my show, and even though it took a little while to, for us to get to this point, uh, both of us are persistent about it happening, so thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah, I'm really grateful to be on, on and uh, I love,
4: I really just love what you guys are doing, and um, Sharon was, oh my gosh, she's amazing. Wow. She's, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, Incredible. I'm going to push for you being one of the speakers at the event next year because I think you're so aligned with what she's doing with the leadership event.
4: Mm. Oh wow! Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, she just—I just love so much of what she, what she shared, especially kind of her um, statement about mentors really stood out to me because man, kids are screaming out for mentors and they need that so desperately and um and I, I happen to think parents are the best mentors for their kids not necessarily the only mentors but that it starts with the parents you know and uh but man I loved I just you know she's
1: somebody you want to do coffee with for a couple hours she's just such a great person you know well and coffee coffee with a couple hours every week I mean let's let's be clear it's oh wow continuous. <laughs> that's awesome so we, we will connect you. I mean, these Amplified shows are actually have a subset of connection. And the connection is we we marry the people together that have common themes, common purposes, and common visions so that they actually can cultivate and synergize what they're doing together. So I will be certain to oh, connect wow. you. To, and do you know Danny by any chance? Love that.
4: I don't, but, man, I've been looking him up and the introduction. And, I mean, that's... Huge. Oh, my gosh. One of the things I talked about in my book is just how, I mean, we have 31% of college graduates who can read and understand a complex book. That's it. Right. 31% when you're graduating from college. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I, I almost so, there. Uh, I mean, so don't make fun.
4: <laughs> no, yeah. So he He's sitting on something that that's exactly, I mean, that's so key. And I think that the sad part is now in society, you know, it used to be if you wanted to stop ideas from getting out, you'd have a big book burning and and then you'd get rid of those ideas (laughs) that way. And they don't do that anymore. Now they burn minds. And so they they just dumb things down to the point that you can't even understand what's really going on. Uh, I used to do that that in my classroom and I'd have, uh, I'd say, all right, let's read the constitution. And then you tell me what it says. And My students couldn't even really understand the Constitution and what it said and what rights it secured for them, and go, oh, this is a problem.
1: (laughs) It's a very big problem. I I taught in uh, magnet schools, and 8th grade physical science, which is the study of matter and energy, I couldn't get past the fact they couldn't read the book. They were at a 3rd grade reading level average. And so we had to take a lot of time yeah. to learn math and reading just to understand what the study of matter and energy is. So I share that yeah. plight with you, and I understand it. So what I want to do first, though, is I want to address how important Peter Stropel is in your life and what he's done with the friends of Peter. Oh wow, um, he is like—he's uh, kind of one of those people that
4: you come into contact with, and you just immediately feel like a wave of kindness and compassion rolling off of him it just kind of exudes out of his pores and and his whole mission in life is just how can i take anything i've done with my life up to this point how can i take anybody that i may know and and help you step into the life you were meant to live i mean he it's just he's a unbelievable unbelievable human being i mean
1: he's wow i want to be him when i grow up you know (laughs) me too baby me too so you know michael Schmidlin, though right
4: oh yeah oh he's great too i mean he's he's one of those guys that just he's he's just a kind of a master of encouragement He just always got something great to share and i love that about him um, well, just, well, I mean, whether it's on social media or whether you're at a Friends of Peter meeting, talking to him, he's just one of those guys. It's just always very encouraging. and I love that.
1: Well, he's also a brilliant connector because I have to give credit to the fact that I went to Secret Knock with uh, Dr. Greg Reed's um, experience, as it were. And I met Michael. And although I never, ever met him again after that event, he's the one who connected me to Peter Stropal. And that one-year oh, wow. conversation with Peter Stropo caused me to meet you, and I want to go to that that shark. What does it mean to take one word and have thirty to sixty people talk about that word? Because I've only been there one day. Talk about that experience, please.
4: Well, it's really interesting because there's there's always a, a singular concept that's presented at these meetings, and oftentimes when it's first presented, you just sort of think what. <laughs> Did somebody just you know drink a six pack and this is what came out you know it's it's just but but then but then the first speaker will get up and and share and you know and you start thinking oh and and then a lot of times what they share leads into something else that somebody else shares, and before you know it, there's all these different pieces, and your mind is just percolating with ideas and oh yeah you know and, and you just start feeling that that kind of of inspiration start to go and it's uh, it just becomes this amazing experience and then you've got you know anywhere between 40 to 60 people on a a given uh, Saturday just sharing about their insight and people are from every you know walk of life and and, uh, age and there's just so much wisdom I I feel like kind of like Thomas Jefferson did you know people are are the best books in, in a way you know because they're they're just amazing, and they're the sum of all their experiences and, and all their learning and, and so forth, and they're just distilling it into a single idea. Like, in that particular case,
1: it was shark, you know? So, and, I love that because, whole thing they do. And because the shark was uh, one of the words that scared me probably more than anything, because at the time that... Jaws came out, I was a teenager, and, oh. and was, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was a bit impressionable, but I, I'll say that your presentation stood out so much, and not to put you on the spot, but do you recall what you said with uh, the lines of shark, or what you said with regard to your mission?
4: Well, just that um, much like uh, a shark has a, a singular purpose that it was designed for, uh, so do you know our children. And, and that our role as parents is to help guide our children into that purpose. Because when they have combined it, you know, Ken Robinson kind of talks about it in The Element. It's this idea that where your passion merges with your design, you are in your element. Much like when a shark is in the water, it's in its element. It's where it's supposed to be and doing what it's supposed to do. And that's the same kind of idea with, you know, parents and helping prepare their kids for that same thing. to get them into their element so they're prepared
1: to step into what they were
4: designed for.
1: So, Daniel, tell me about your childhood and what led you to this being a mission in your life.
4: Um, Well, it's interesting.
1: I had a very difficult upbringing
4: with my dad. Um, my mom had a cardiac arrest when I was eight, and it left her brain damaged, and so my dad and I took care of her for the next 13 years until I was 21, and then she had another cardiac arrest and, and died in her arms before the paramedics could get there. And and my dad was, uh, you know, child with depression, uh, started working when he was five years old, and as I sort of got older and started unpacking his life, um, I... I kind of saw, uh, in him that he had dreams and a lot of those dreams that he set aside for the sake of the family. And, uh, there were a lot of things my dad had to endure himself that I came to realize my dad did the very, very best he could with what he knew. Um, he just, you know, maybe didn't know the right things. And then I, I got to thinking, you know, I think that's every parent, you know, uh, we look back and I think. Even if we had a difficult childhood, we look back and go, you know, uh, if I, my parents did the best they could with what they knew, you know, and I think the question becomes, well, what if parents could know more? What if parents mm-hmm. could know better? And, and that's where uh, this whole scenario kind of stepped in because what my, what my dad taught me, a lot of it, I wasn't ready to receive because of how he was trying to teach it to me. But it doesn't change the value or the quality of what he was trying to communicate. And so uh, after kind of a lot of work as a person, you know, I, I, I kind of really processed that. And now my, my dad is, I mean, he's he's the strongest man I've ever known. I mean, the things that he's had to endure and get through and overcome is like he's, wow, I, I'm I have... A great deal of respect. And it's to my shame that I didn't have more respect for him
1: when I was growing up. I just, but I was a kid, I lacked perspective. So. Well, what I want to do, because we are going to break in about three minutes or so, I want to make sure we get to share your book, your philosophy on education, and really what's not happening in the the schools that needs to be addressed. So I know that's a very power packed question, but if we could make sure we get that in before the break.
4: Sure. Well, I think primarily um, schools are, are based on all the wrong things uh, is, is the issue. And what I mean by that is that schools are training kids to pass standardized tests. They're training them to get high GPAs and good class rankings, and they're training them for uh, a system that doesn't ever really pay off. And the real, the real thing is you want to know that kids are learning, and if you're learning something, it means that you can teach something in simple terms to someone else, not that you are able to successfully regurgitate an answer on a standardized test that someone told you was true. And so the object becomes really about teaching our kids to learn how to learn. Because things are changing very, very quickly in our world. I mean, for example, the top 10 in-demand jobs in 2010 didn't even exist in 2004. You know, that's how quickly things change. The average 38-year-old has 14 jobs. And so things are happening at a rapid clip. And if kids actually have the ability to learn how to learn, it doesn't matter how much change happens because they will always have the ability of taking information breaking it down, assimilating it, and then being able to apply it. And that is a powerful tool. And I've talked to so many people in, in human resources, uh, small businesses, larger businesses, who are just, I mean, and it's not the kid's fault. It's just, you know, you, all you can do is what you know. But, but what they're being given is they're incredibly ill-equipped to actually succeed and do well. And it's almost sadly become... Um, it's it's not the norm anymore. It, it used to be kids are doing all these amazing things and it isn't because they stopped being capable. It's because they stopped being helped and, and nurtured into that. And so as a consequence, you have an increasing number of people who are frankly just incapable of functioning unless you're giving them exact directions. So there's a lack of initiative. There's a lack of creativity and imagination. There's a Great study George Land did. He's a a guy that worked at NASA to develop tests to to identify innovative creative thinkers. And he found that um, it it was so successful, he applied it to a cohort of kids. And so he tested them at 5, at 10, at 15, and then again when they were 25 and older, he found the spark of creative genius in 98% of those 5-year-olds. And by the time those 5-year-olds had become 25 and older, only 2% have that same creative spark. And that's just Crazy. sad. I mean, that means that the system is literally sucking that out of them. And so instead of cultivating our children to stepping into the best version of themselves, we're, we're standardizing them into mediocrity. And that's, you know, just something that breaks my heart because I saw that in, in the school system that I was part
1: of, you know, for 14 years. You know, we were talking about smiles earlier, and that's actually an equal sign. The amount of creativity you have is probably equal to the amount of smiles you have because it, it, when there's a study of how many times a kid smiles, it's inordinate. It's hundreds and hundreds of times And an adult smiles, like mm, 2% of that or 4%. Wow. So, and I was just thinking about that wow. because smiles are starting to become the thing I study like a scientist. And it's, if you think about it, the more abundant you are, the more you smile. The more you solve world problems or your own problems, the more you smile, the more you are mm. being able to get creative. So I'm seeing a really cool tangent here, and I wish we yep. had more time. So here's the, da- here's the deal, Daniel. I want to have you back on the show, and I want to have you back on the show in January when we talk about a new year, a new mind, a new way of thinking. Okay? And okay. you can be on the show Great. for a full hour, okay? But I wanted to make wow. this show an educational piece where we brought three people together that see how leadership and education and reading all support a common theme, which is to think bigger and better. So we're going to have you up back on wow. for, the, uh, for the rapid fire at the end of the show, which is going to give you an opportunity to share uh, just really quick answers to favorite books and books that changed your life, mentors, et cetera, and quotes. And I just I know there's so much more of a deep dive we could do right now, so we can put a little bit of a link. But how do people follow you and connect with you?
4: Probably the, the best thing is if they're interested in, in products and is, is services and what I can do for them is just going to pk4l.com um, and uh, they can connect with me, you know, uh, through that, uh, through, I have a Facebook page, um, same thing, pk4l2018. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, I love connecting with people. I mean, that's if, if I could just sit around all day and just have conversation with people, you know, that would be... The optimum, you know, that's what I love about speaking. And um, but I'm just I'm I'm so grateful for you and Andrea. I mean, you guys are great. It's just I love I just love what you guys are doing.
1: Well, thank and, you. Uh, and you know, I there's wish there were more of you. Well, thank you. And, and we're, that's the inspirational part, though. Is there are more of us? We just have to inspire it. And what you're doing is actually cultivating that. Would you agree that teaching kids critical thinking and problem solving skills is probably a focal point of how their success would actually multiply? Yes, absolutely.
4: And the tragedy is that that, that there's nothing like that taught in the schools. It's it's on the boards. Like if you go to parent-teacher night, you'll see it all over the, you know, we train critical thinkers at this school, but it doesn't actually happen. Because if you think about it, school would shut down in a month if they were actually training critically thinking men and women to walk the halls of their institution. Because critical
1: thinkers wouldn't put up with what's done to them. Well, you, you are my brother because when I taught physics and chemistry, I gave them all the formulas. They didn't have to memorize anything. They just had to apply what was known mm. to make the solution happen. And when they messed up, all they had to do was do test corrections. They got an extra 10% for their grade. And grades are wow. so bogus. It's, it's all about what are you yeah. actually learning? <laughs> so uh, yeah. I just want to totally. say I've been so excited to get you on the show. And there's so many other questions I have. But let me ask you two really quick questions. We'll go to break. So one Mm -hmm. is you have the book, Un-American Education. Can you give a 30-second synopsis of that book?
4: Yeah, the first half of the book is simply me collecting quotes from the people who started our educational system. Uh, I'm not offering my opinion. I'm merely recording what they said with their own mouths, and it will absolutely shock parents to find out that this is what the true purpose of our educational system is. The second half of the book simply documents using the school system's own metrics just how far short of its, you know, objectives it is. In fact, I will even argue that school is incredibly successful based upon what its stated purpose is. You or I would look at school and think it's, it's an epic failure based on what it is, but, but based on what it said its purpose is, It isn't. And I just wrote the book to try to put these facts in parents' hands as easily and accessibly as I possibly could. So it's a a short book. There are a lot of bullet points. It's got a ton of footnotes in it just to try to get some information into people's hands to, to help create an awareness of this is what the option is.
2: And thank you so much again for all of that, uh, Daniel. Uh, We're right out of time, so I didn't even get to ask you the questions we talked about. But we'll
1: ask them during the rapid fire. So that'll be be the way to do it. And and you have so many other books on your site that are really good. So that's why I said we have to have you back because you could talk about all the different books you have on your site. It would be hours and hours of uh, educational entertainment, right? Oh, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) All right. So we'll be back in a couple minutes.
0: Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us
5: at keyword Voice America.
4: The Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong
1: promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: This is Amplify. To reach the show today, please call 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. We also would love to hear from you via email to info at umbrellasyndicate.com.
1: Now, back to Amplify. Welcome back, and we have had a quick-paced show and another one of the shows that we just wish we had more time. So amazing people are on our show. Please go to their websites. Please connect with them. Please follow them. I promise your life will be better in 2019 if you connect with these particular people. They are about education. They're about thinking forward, and they certainly are about making America and this country better. So, Andrea, if you'd please introduce our next guest.
2: Absolutely. Uh, my friend, Danny Bretzel. He is America's leading reading ambassador, and he takes that with true heart. He has, for the past two decades, been serving as an educational advisor to students ranging from preschoolers to rocket scientists. And he has held a variety of titles and worked with leaders from a variety of fields and disciplines. And he has always considered himself first and foremost as a teacher. He's a recognized authority on leadership development, motivation, and communication skills. And he has been honored consistently and repeatedly for his strategic intellect and practical solutions he's a gregarious sought after author speaker and business consultant characterized by me one of his friends and other colleagues and clients is one of the most insightful powerful and compassionate individuals in business today and i absolutely adore this man please danny brussell welcome to the show
5: Man, Andrea, i got to bring you on the road with me. That was an incredible introduction. Thank you. I'd
2: love to go on the road with you. I disadore you. Well, I feel like I,
5: the booby cries I have to follow Sharon and Daniel, I, I felt like a Baptist just saying amen to everything they were saying. <laughs> Thanks for having me with those two <laughs> brilliant people.
1: And, and I have to say, is there a better descriptor than Gregarious. I mean, <laughs> how do you get a better pinnacle I, just want, to, word? I, I want to impress
5: people and, and show them I know at least one dictionary word. <laughs> well, that's not a 25-cent word. That's
1: probably close to 75 cents. I mean, that is really a big Perfect. one. Perfect. <laughs> so what do you think about that comment I made earlier? I mean, do you think reading's going to take off?
5: Well, I think reading's already taking off, Ken. I mean, I think the way a lot of us define reading is a 75-year-old definition. I was with a fourth grader. And his teacher told me he didn't he didn't know how to read. And in, in one hour's time, he had texted 20 friends. He had uh, cruised through about 50 different websites. He had sent a couple of emails. He's highly literate. She's using a definition from when uh, you and I were in school back in the dark ages, uh, Ken. I I think that we just need to get with the times and broaden our definition of literacy. That's exactly where I was going to go, so thank you.
1: Uh, because I see people doing hundreds of texts. And although their grammar may not be perfect, they are actually obviously reading and using the English language at a very high level because the frequency of texting is how we actually live. It saves us a phone call. It saves us communicating without reading. Absolutely. Well, what made you actually passionate about this particular topic?
5: You know, uh, can my my father was a librarian, and so I grew up hating reading. I always hated public libraries. They always freaked me out. They always smelled funny. The furniture was always uncomfortable. There was always some elderly woman telling me to be quiet. There's always some freaky homeless guy who thought he was a vampire hanging out by the shelves. Always freaked me out. Um, I was actually blessed, though, Ken. I, I grew up in a home where both of my parents were avid readers, and uh, even though I hated reading, I was always around lots of uh, wonderful reading materials and people that uh, uh, encouraged my reading. And it wasn't until I started teaching in the inner city where I saw a lot of my students didn't have the access that I had been given when I was a kid, where I started to feel ashamed and realize, wow, uh, I was really blessed. I had a lot of opportunities that a lot of uh, kids aren't given, which uh, really got me annoyed and on my soapbox. And so really... That's my my passion. My mission is to bring joy back in education, Ken. So uh, the latest thing I created is a program called ReadBetterIn67Steps.com where I, I show, share with parents every single day for 67 consecutive days a five- to seven-minute video giving them ideas on how to get their kid excited about reading. I think that schools do a decent job of teaching kids how to read But the question I always ask educators is what good is it teaching a kid how to read if they never want to read? So my program is I teach kids why to read. And that's basically uh, chiming in based on what Sharon and Daniel were saying earlier is how do we get kids that are much more critical thinkers and uh, curious about the world? How do we teach kids how to learn? Yeah, I
1: thought the way to do it is because my son seems to do the opposite to tell him he can't read. He's not allowed to read anymore. And that might do it for us.
5: Absolutely. If you really want a kid to do something, tell them not to do it. <laughs> so what? T- uh, when did you start reading? Uh, well, this is going to sound bad. Uh, when I was in college, uh, my university <laughs> required a semester abroad. And so I, I went to Spain without knowing any Spanish. And the only program they had was a graduate level economics program. Well, I was an undergraduate journalism major who didn't know Spanish and so, I, I basically took graduate-level economics in a foreign language in Spain, and it gave me, it built up my empathy for people who don't know English as a first language. It's very difficult acquiring a, a second language. You, you start to get headaches, you have nightmares, and uh, you yearn for, for any of the uh, things that you're familiar with. And so, it was actually, even though I wasn't a reader, a girl handed me a copy of John Grisham's The Pelican Brief in English and I devoured it in a day, and so then uh, I I got a Time to Kill, and I devoured that in a day, and then I actually went to a bookstore. I paid $35 for a beat-up old uh, paperback copy of uh, the firm, and then I graduated from John Grisham. I went on to uh, Sidney Sheldon and Mary Higgins Clark, and uh, now it's ironic because I have one of the largest uh, reading clubs online called LazyReaders.com, which every month, for the rest of your life, I provide people with 10 book recommendations, three or four adult level, three or four young adult level, and three or four children's level books, all under 250 pages, so they have something they can read during faculty meetings and when they're stuck in appointments or whatever. I, I think that too many of us define reading as we look at Dostoevsky and, and Hemingway, and I say, well, that, that's definitely reading. There's nothing wrong with that, but uh it's... The research is really clear on this. It doesn't matter what you read. What matters is how much you read. It doesn't matter if you're reading James Joyce or James and the Giant Peach. People who read more read better. Now, I'm on a plane at least once a week, Ken, and I can't remember the last time I sat next to somebody who was enjoying Moliere or Shakespeare <laughs> or Maya Angelou, but I sit next to plenty of people reading People Magazine, USA Today, and Fifty Shades of Grey, and there's nothing wrong with that. That the The kid... This is one of the points, and I'm going to make it tonight. I'm, I'm speaking tonight in um, in rural Missouri to a group of parents. And what I'm going to tell these parents is the little boy who reads Captain Underpants is going to be a better reader than the little boy who's not reading anything. And mm-hmm. that that's really the point I, I want people to, to understand is, uh, you know, if you're reading the sports page every day, read the sports page. You're going to be a better reader than the person that's not reading anything. And uh, I, I just think that too many of us uh, – Define reading in an elite way, and uh, to me, that's off-putting. That's not what reading is. Reading is lots of different things. We need to broaden that uh, definition.
1: So when I referred to my plight of teaching science at eighth grade with third grade reading level, what would you suggest to teachers that are uh, encountering lots of students that are obviously at a lower reading level?
5: Well, I mean, so uh, I should have said this at the beginning, For you, Ken, and for Andrea, for your audience, one of the things I wanted to do to serve all of you, I'm going to give all of you a complimentary copy of my book, Read, Lead, and Succeed. Um, You can probably put it in your show notes. They can just go to the the website, readleadandsucceed.com. All they have to do is put in their name and email. They'll get a copy of the book. This is a book. I wrote it for a principal who didn't know how to engage his faculty, so I said, okay, I'll write you a book. And so every week, I give you a concept, an inspirational quote, an inspirational story, A book recommendation on a book you should read, but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult. So I also give you a children's picture book recommendation that demonstrates the same concept. So the first book I used to read to my kindergartners was The Adventures of Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain. The first book I used to read to my 12th graders was Oh, the Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss. And what (laughs) I wanted to do, Ken, is from day one I wanted to point out to people that uh, good literature has no grade level. All of us can appreciate a really good story. So if I'm teaching 8th grade science and my kids are at a 3rd grade reading level, well, I'm going to have to make sure to read to them a whole lot of, actually, I mean, I'll I'll let them read the 3rd grade level because they can read that, but I'm going to read aloud to them plenty of 8th and 10th and 12th grade level things. I mean, uh, uh, the other thing I would recommend for your 8th graders, if you really want them to become better readers, is have them work with uh, struggling elementary students. I got that idea from watching Little House on the Prairie on TV as a kid. Uh, if you ever watch that show, the kids are in a single classroom, and the kids were different sizes, and it got me thinking. I'm like, huh, whose brilliant idea was it to start classifying kids by age? I mean, that's just as random as shoe size. I mean, you give me a six-year-old boy next to a six-year-old girl, and I can pretty much guarantee that girl's a couple of grade levels above that boy. The boys eventually, well, at least most of them, uh, most boys eventually catch up to their girl counterparts, but... Uh, uh, I have found that uh, peer tutoring is a great way to improve the reading abilities of students. So if you really want your eighth graders to increase their reading level, have them work with third graders that are struggling.
1: That's a great idea. And it's also a great way to punish them, too. By the way, you put them in third grade.
5: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm, I find that uh, it's not a punishment. They actually love it, that what you're doing is you're making them the more competent peer. And so I used to always uh, – <coughs> Well, I, I agree with you, Daniel. I was, I was just, I was just say, I, I I was saying that – that? What's that?
1: I was saying that uh, when you have them misbehaving in class, you put them in a third grade or fifth grade reading uh, class, all of a sudden they're like, oh, my gosh, I better behave in the eighth grade class. So that that was what I was referring to.
5: Yeah, and you're right about that. That's what I was going to suggest is that when you send them down to third grade, two things happen is, first of all, their behavior problems cease because you've made them the more competent peer. And then second of all, their reading ability improves because, we don't give enough responsibility to kids nowadays. I sound more and more like an old curmudgeon. It's like kids are helpless <laughs> nowadays. We do too much for them. We just have to start letting kids actually do some things on their own. You are a
1: gregarious curmudgeon though. So just know that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, uh, there's probably not another book that I could recommend higher for entrepreneurism than Tom Sawyer. I think Tom Sawyer is the ultimate way of actually understanding how to leverage life. So I'm, I'm yeah, glad you said that one. I think the, I think the fence painting scene in Tom Sawyer is the greatest moment in American literature. <laughs> Amen to that. And that is actually the one that I said, you know what? I can start a lawn service. I can start this. I can start that. So <laughs> that's right. I, I agree with you. And I, I, I did a book, and this book has not uh, by any chance hit the mainstream, but it was called The 50 Book Challenge. And it was an idea that I had, I have this massive library in my house, but what are the 50 books that if I was to say, spend one hour with each of these books, one hour a week, which out of 168 hours is pretty nominal and your life will change. So I would be very interested in sending you not only this book, but getting your viewpoint on what a 50 book challenge would look
5: like for you. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, I I think what I would do There's books that have meant a lot to me, but that's really the first point I I try to make to parents is it really doesn't matter what I care about. What matters is what you care about. And so your 50 book challenge is probably different than mine. It doesn't matter. What we can do, whatever we can do to encourage people to read more, uh, I encourage that. Uh, And I would always encourage people to broaden their reading and try and be a little bit eclectic. you know, if you're doing a 50 book challenge, I had read uh, a, a biography by Edmund Morris called The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt, which is a phenomenal book, won the Pulitzer Prize. But uh, what amazed me in that book, they said by the time he was 30 years old, Teddy Roosevelt had read over 20,000 books. And now you have to do, uh, Ken, what my, my little ones always does, which is they all say, wow. So say, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is so, a wow, though. So that's tell that a a the way. little kids. I'll tell my kids, I'm like, so kids, we got to start reading like 10 books a day now. We're going to read a lot of kid books. And so I read that now. I, I read 10 books a day. Many of them are pop up and scratch, scratch on <laughs> but I do read 10 <laughs> books a day. So uh, uh, it's actually one of the tips I give to people before parties. If you want to sound intelligent, why don't you go to a Barnes and Noble, go to the children's section, check out some children's biographies of people. You'll sound pretty brilliant. I mean, uh, any of today's leaders, there's been picture biographies written about them that are just as uh, in-depth as uh, the 800-page uh, diatribes that we, uh, we read as adults. Well, I, I will say that
1: I read three books a day just with my son at night when I put him to bed. So <laughs> they there may is, be the same books every is. single night, but they are definitely three books. And you are, you are correct. And he starts reading them for me because I stop at certain points and he reads that word and I point to it. So that is so cool. So what do you advise a parent to do? to, I know you've said it in different ways during the show, but what what are your specific like one, two, three that would help a 2019 uh, plan for engaging a uh, child to be a reader?
5: Well, first of all, I love that you're reading with your son, Ken. I mean, I used to have a, a nonprofit called Real Dads Read. And the first point I'd make to the fathers is, hey, hey, dad, you want to know why your kids like football so much? Because it's the only time you spend with them. If you spent your time yeah. reading to them, they'd love reading. And so the fact that your kid is getting to see you not just read uh, to him, but he gets to read with you, and I'm sure that your son's also observing you as you read. So uh, that's, a big, that's a big one for parents. Is, uh, uh, my pastor always says that you could be the worst parent on the planet, and your kid doesn't know it. To them, you're mom and dad. And so that's a very important responsibility. And so the first tip I give to all parents is we need to be able to read to our children, in front of our children, and with our children. I mean, I've actually worked with parents that don't even know how to read, but the simple act of having a book in front of them sent a message to their kids that reading was important. And so that's the first thing I'd recommend. The second thing I'd recommend is make sure that uh, uh, materials are accessible to kids. Um, You know, the average American spends 15 minutes a day on the toilet. So the first thing I recommend to parents is put some books next to the toilet for your kids to read. Um, The most most read item across America Every single morning is the back of the cereal box. So why don't you put some uh, reading materials on, on your breakfast table so the kid has something to read? Um, mm-hmm. Here's an even easier tip. I have, a, I have a guess that television is here to stay, and so uh, why not turn on the closed captioning on the television? So when the child's watching TV, they're also seeing uh, subtitles. Now, a lot of people say, well, Danny, if the show's in English and the subtitles are in English, what good does that do? I think that's a fair point, but here's the point I like to counter with is how many of you have ever watched a TV show with subtitles and not looked at the subtitles? Your brain is drawn to that text. It's actually a really good way to help your kid uh, to uh, read more. Um, and so uh, access would be the second thing I would recommend. And then, um, you know, finally, and this is uh, really kind of, uh, underestimated is what we're doing right now, Ken, is we're talking about books. I mean, uh, the reason I love Oprah is she talks about books. She gets, she talks about books the way people talk about their favorite sports teams and their favorite TV shows. She gets exactly. people excited about reading. The more excited you are to read, the more likely you are to read. The more you read, the better you get. So those would be my three tips For your audience, and they're pretty simple. Anybody can do them, Ken.
1: And and you are not kidding. Those are awesome tips, and we are going to make sure that they are integrated for my family at least, and actually spelled out in the in the post show notes. So we're going to go to rapid fire. So the idea is, how quick can we ask a question, and how quick can you answer it? The only exception will be the first question. The first question, because it's about reading and books. I want to go a little deeper. I don't want you to say why, but instead of it being your favorite book that changed your life, we're going to start with Daniel. Daniel, are you there? Okay, if Daniel's not there, we're going to go with you, Danny. Danny, three, <laughs> books, that, okay. Danny, three books that changed your life.
5: Three books that changed my life. Uh, the first one would probably be To Kill a Mockingbird. I know it's kind of a cop-out, but that was the first book that I just truly just loved from cover to cover as a, <laughs> as a student. I was a really reluctant reader. I loved To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, the second one would probably be... Um, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. That book made me laugh out loud almost every single page. I just thought it was brilliant writing. Um, and then the fourth book, uh, or third third book. Let me count. Not a math major. Gosh, so many. Uh, I, I guess I'm I'm going to be kind of pathetic with this one. I I became a Christian later in life, and so I actually didn't read the Bible until I was in my 30s. But I've actually read the Bible from cover to cover. It's a pretty darn good read. I'd actually encourage anybody to read the Bible. <laughs>
1: Awesome. And I probably should have said four for that reason. <laughs> uh, Andrea, you want to ask a question?
2: Yes, I do. Um, so Danny, um, what is a series of books that you have found to be the most enlightening for yourself and your daughters? The,
5: the, the, series or
2: the series? The, the series like the you know, multiple books and a, you know, one after the other.
5: <laughs> oh, well, I mean, uh, you know, I thought I, I, Jesus had John the Baptist. Arl uh, Stein got kids into the bookstore with the goosebumps, but it was J.K. Rowling that was the savior that really boosted kids' reading. And my kids all devoured the Harry Potter books, so I'm going to say the Harry Potter series.
2: Awesome, thank you.
1: So there's a quote by Saint Augustine: "The world, uh, the book, the world is a book, and those that don't travel only see one page." Do you believe that? seeing the world and reading books are connected?
5: Of course. I mean, every time I travel anywhere, I'm reading about uh, the different place. I just spent a month in India, and so I've been reading voraciously about India ever since. Then uh, I, I think uh, I, I'm blessed because I have an opportunity to see the world, but uh, there's plenty of people that don't have to see the world, but they can see the world as long as they have a a, a a library card to their public library. A lot of people actually don't know this. Jules Verne never left France his entire life. And yet he wrote the book around the world in 80 days. And so uh, Mm. I think your, your library card is the passport to the world. That's amazing. So
1: we have to wrap up the show. And I just want to say you are brilliant. And thank you so much for really downloading the amazing gifts and nuggets. We have a book coming out called Amplified Gold Nuggets. And I want to showcase your show. This show about all the things you can do with reading and how you can actually improve your life. So, Danny, you're. Yeah, thanks for all that you're
5: doing. I mean, you're really providing a huge public service, so I I thank you. You're the brilliant one. I'm I'm a humble servant. (laughs) You're the gregarious humble servant, though.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, Danny, we're going to have you back on as well because I want to go deeper as far as what people can do to get their children to read and how we can shape our future. We are going to be back next week with a brilliant show, of course, and thank you, Danny, very much for your time.
5: Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Andrea. Love you.
1: This is Ken Rochon with Amplified Radio, and this has been sponsored by Big Events USA, the Keep Smiling Movement, and, of course, the Red Carpet Connection. We'll see you next week.